0: it is, but it is also warm outside. Donald Trump is still the 45th president, and 2016 still blows. Welcome to the J-Man Show, here on G360 Red. Welcome to episode 3, this is Jay, of course. Uh, Before we get started into our episode today, let's take a good look at Trump Watch and see what exactly the maniacal president-elect is up to. I'm sure you've all seen this on the news as of late. (laughs) Uh, There's been a lot of protests, you know what I mean? A lot of people that aren't exactly fond of him coming into the Oval Office. Even though he somehow managed to win that election. But, you know, as much as I don't like really talking about this old news anymore, it's the aftermath that keeps it, that, you know, pretty much keeps the bad taste coming around. And the way that a lot of people have responded to it. Now, in this particular thing, they have gone to the point of burning images of Donald Trump in addition to pretty much burning the American flag. Yes, people's point of view of America has just been simply shot to hell. You know what I mean? Especially since this man has won. Now, while I don't agree with the fact of him winning and everything else, he did win and, you know, all that other stuff I said in the last two episodes, but the thing is, is this. How he's reacting to it, however, just like how he reacted to the whole Hamilton thing, is beyond insane. Like, we all know that he has a couple of wheels off his wagon, but let's be honest here. The fact that he responds to this on Twitter, of all things, you know what I mean? And I'm going to read to you what he wrote on Twitter in a few seconds. And I quote, this is from At Real Donald Trump. Nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences. Perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. In addition to winning the electoral college in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. Now, that second one is in response to the whole recount that's going on, because honestly, you know, I'm not quite fond of this man going up in there either. So, you know, if they manage to find a way with Jill Stein and this recount and everything else, you never know. Maybe there's probably some light at the end of this tunnel. But until then, you can easily tell that this man does not have the temperament, the mindset to be a leader of this free world like this. You know what I mean? If anything, his point of view is going to pretty much uh, cause more trouble than needs And we don't need no more trouble. We got enough on our plate. Not to mention that damn wall that's going to cost about 15 to 25 um, trillion dollars to build and maintain. But at the end of the day, you'll realize that no sane person would even write this crap. Now, I know a lot of us out here on the indie market and everything else that we do. You know, we write a bunch of stuff on our social media and everything like that. But we're not on the political grandstand like this guy is. And it's just amazing to see that, you know, even though he won... He's still having a meltdown. You know? He's the only guy I know that can do this. I have not seen a president-elect in my time that acts like this guy. You know? It's just amazing. Like, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm a registered independent. And I just really want somebody who can do the job. But this guy's not it. Now, honestly, he ain't bringing no jobs back over here. And not only that, he's not cleaning out any inner cities. And I can see this right now. If anything, he's just going to have arguments on Twitter. For some weird reason. And not only that, nobody should be allowed to burn the American... He obviously hasn't read the Constitution either. You know, that is part of your First Amendment rights. You know, your freedom of speech. Nobody said the freedom of speech had to be nice freedom of speech it doesn't have to be hate but it doesn't have to be nice that's actually a form of protesting and there are people who have volunteered and died for you to have the ability to protest it's like going ahead and saying that he sucks as a person or whatever you know what i mean that is your opinion that is your freedom of speech you are allowed to have that if you don't agree with him or anything else like that especially if you didn't vote for his ass you can go ahead and do that sort of thing it is a part of your freedom of speech and the thing is, this guy has a hard time understanding <laughs> that you are a public official, you're in the most powerful seat, and you're going to represent this country in that grandstand. Who, who the hell got time for a mouthpiece like this? You need somebody with some temperament, somebody to be a leader. A leader listens, learns, and studies. Obviously, even though this man won, he ain't learned shit. And it's a shame. Like, you know, I'm not going to say he's Hitler, but at the end of the day, it's like looking at this kind of stuff. You can't just go ahead and act this way. I mean, in a way, a president is an inspiration for, like, you know, a lot of the younger generation, believe it or not. Like, you know, like how you have, like, little kids out there and they say, you know, maybe I could be president someday. What do you think, Dad? And then you'd be like this. You know what? If if you're interested and if you're really all about that life, you can go ahead and do that. But for the 45th president here... (laughs) He's a role model to no one. But it's like this. See, I can go ahead and say this stuff because I didn't vote for his ass. You know, I voted, but I didn't vote for him. And the thing is, it's like looking at this and just seeing, you know, people have acted disrespectful to Trump. But the thing is, Trump already won. A lot of us have accepted it. Some of us are still fighting a good fight. I admit that. I'm always keeping an eye on him along with a lot of other, um, you know, journalists and everything else. You know what I mean? That because you have to wake up for stuff like this. Because this is not a good time to go back to sleep and think that you're in peacetime anymore. This is something to be aware of. And the thing is, is that, (sighs) are people that misinformed and that against Obama to go ahead and vote for someone like this? You see, the thing is, he didn't get in there by himself. He got in there with help. He got in there because a lot of people believed in his cult of bullshit that easily swayed. Like when you tell people things that they wanna hear, they're gonna follow you from here to Jupiter. But the thing is, is like this guy did it and they should get a bunch of misinforms to follow him or those that really believe he's gonna do all those promises he said he was gonna do. But all I've seen as of late, and he's not even sworn in yet, he fights with a stage play. He fights with Saturday Night Live, And he's fighting with the media in general, though the media kind of gave him this win. And I'm not going to say it's been all clean, but at the same time, the way this is acting, this isn't right. Like he's talking about, for a while there, he was talking about a federal libel law, which doesn't exist. So if anybody's having a hard time with the First Amendment right now, it would be our very own President-elect Trump. It's, It's so ridiculous. But that's why you keep an eye on this stuff. Because right now, this is softball stuff. This isn't anything too deep yet. The reason why I do Trump Watch on this show is simply because you need to know what's going on. Stay awake, America. Especially those of you that really know what this guy's all about. Like I'm not going to say he's racist, but I'm going to say that xenophobia is there. And I'm going to say a lot of stuff about him, much like any politician. And you can go ahead and say he's a businessman, whatever. Everybody has a side gig, especially politicians. And the thing is about this, he has an agenda. And you got to pay attention to what that agenda is so you can know what to fight against. We are the people. You understand what I'm saying? So remember, the United States is not United Trump. Get it right. Outside of all that, though, that's not what this show is about. The real topic for today is going to be about reboots and pre-sold franchises, how it's a double-edged sword with them. Are they really saving the movie business, or are we just in a vicious loop that we'll never, ever get any variety? We'll also be taking a look into the first Spider-Man trilogy, you know, the one starring Tobey Maguire and directed by Sam Raimi. So, all these things will be explained in more, depending on what time allows. Then I also want to give a special shout out to those of you that participated in National Novel Writing Month this year. Congratulations to all of you. You are all winners just by taking 30 days and writing a novel in there. Congratulations to those that won, and congratulations to all those who participated. I hope to join you all next year. Now, about movie reboots. You know, you love them, hate them, they seem to be the going trend these days, especially. It seems like there's no variety, no original ideas, and originality can be a hard thing to come by sometime. Especially with this day and age of that pre-sold franchises will get people's butts in the seats. Sometimes it seems like we're either overdoing it and then there are times it seems like, you know, we don't do enough of them. Sometimes it's okay to add something fresh, you know, to something that's already established, given the same but different. That is a general rule of thumb for all of us screenwriters and filmmakers out there. But at the end of the day, is enough enough? Is there any hope for anything new to come and take the spot, you know what I mean? Is there any way for like, you know, in the horror genre where we can get away from Freddy, Jason, and Michael Myers, is there any way we can go ahead and make new things that People will look into our work, you know what I'm saying? And say that, you know what, that is iconic. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can get away from all that sort of thing. We can be inspired by the icons that came before us, but can we become iconic in our own right in mainstream movie production? You know, Halloween is being rebooted again, and there are plans to go ahead and do another Nightmare on Elm Street. There's plans to do another Jason reboot. Even though the reboot that came out in 2011 was pretty on point... And, you know, they could have continued off from there, but I guess they're, the sequel was in development hell or something. It's just to me, like, things could be a little bit more... Well, we already know that people are coming into movies through different gimmicks, such as 3D. IMAX and special effects yeah that's part of it too you know it's just a lot of people are not coming out to the movies anymore because you know when you got stuff so good at home with you know different theaters and uh (laughs) well the Pirate Bay and all that good stuff thing is you really don't want to go out and spend all that money for a lackluster film I, I, I get it but it's okay to go to the movies. It's okay to see something different. Sometimes even comic movies kind of fall on this whole thing because they're a pre-sold franchise. not saying that comic movies are a bad thing. For somebody like me, as a creative, and, you know, I still need to go ahead and put some of my films out there, you know, for some variety. But say, like, if you're somebody that's trying to get out of the indie level and into the mainstream, you you don't really want to do a reboot. You want to do the movie you like. But that rule called, you know, one for them, one for you. These movie companies are not necessarily movie companies anymore. They're corporations at best. And I mean corporation as, like, the movie company you know about is not exactly the parent company. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you see, like, CBS, you know its parent company is Sony. If you see um, ABC, you know its parent company is Disney. Pretty much the one that's making all the money it can from Marvel, Pixar, and Lucasfilms. Really don't have to do their own property unless they want to keep that stuff fresh. Which, you know, in a way they kind of are with the live-action reboots of their animated features. Which, by the way, I'm intrigued to see how Beauty and the Beast goes. And, you know, I do want to see a live-action Lion King reboot. See, it's little things like that, like, I do kind of want to see. Because the technology and the evolution behind that is amazing. But what I'm saying before is, is it helping the movie industry get better? Or is it killing the movie industry by just churning out the same old thing? It's one of those kind of conundrums in the filmmaking industry. And the thing is, is that filmmaking at one time was all about risk-taking. I mean, it still is in some aspects. What would the celebrities going on Kickstarter and every single other crowdfunding source out there to gain the money for their projects, even though the project sometimes ends up a lot more lackluster than anything, and it kind of kills the small fishes in the big pond that are trying to get as much money as they can to go ahead and finish their production. And then there comes the distribution costs and everything else. Like, we, we get it, but the thing is, is this... You got to take risk in order to sell these things. I mean, a pre-sold franchise is great, I guess, in the short term. But in the long term, you know, you kind of want to have new stuff coming out, a little bit more variety. And, you know, romantic comedies fall into this aspect, too. Like, how many times do you want the guy to get the girl or the girl to actually get the guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, realistically, if you look at anything that happens in a romantic comedy, you know damn well it doesn't work in real life. You could give a big speech about how much you care about somebody, right? But they still gonna do what they're gonna do, right? Chances are if they're so heavily invested in somebody else and all that kind of stuff. It usually doesn't work out that way in real life. Which is why some people need to understand why movies are well, movies. But the thing is, is that, you know, I'm just wanting a little bit more variety out of the mainstream because 2016 has enough problems as it is, and I'm glad it's almost over, but it could have had a little bit more variety in its mainstream movies. Sure, I was excited about Civil War, Batman versus Superman. I was excited about Suicide Squad there for a moment. Like Steven Spielberg once said that, you know, superhero films were gonna go the way of the Western. But when I look at the indie market, The Western's doing just fine. And then, like, there were a few Western movies that came out. I mean, yeah, Magnificent Seven came out. Uh, One of the epic film guys will probably get me for this one. But I actually thought it was kind of a decent film. You know what I mean? Because it had that freshness to it. That's why, you know, you see in a genre come back to life. And, well, Westworld's back now, but that's on TV. See, a lot of these uh, rebooted and pre-sold franchises, they end up going to TV if they don't get their feature film made by a certain time. But I do know that maybe I'm old-fashioned or something like that, but we kind of need a little bit more, some freshness. You know what I'm saying? All that stuff was good back in the day, and it should inspire you, but in the end, you don't want to keep doing the same old thing. And then there are times where, you know, reboots are pretty successful in that aspect. And then there are times where they're just unnecessary, and then they're just ridiculous. And then you know it's a blatant cash cow because it has no substance to it. It doesn't have its own identity, even though they try to force it down your throat, which is exactly a reference to Ghostbusters. You know, that could have been handled a lot better. Even by looking at that movie in general, like the plot and everything else, it could have been handled a lot better if it went on its own track and its own speed. But a lot of people didn't even like it when the first trailer came out. And then let alone all the other controversy, if you can even call it controversy, that came with it. Oh wow, yeah, I remember it. But a lot of the problems were really off screen. And it's usually because the viewer responds to it. We all hated that movie. Well, there were some that really liked it, and then there were some that... Don't even remember it. I don't hate the film. I'm just wondering why it exists. Other than to make money. I don't see any real reason for it to exist. It's like Jurassic World, you know, you can't really call that a reboot. That was more or less, a it, kind of, it added freshness to the series, but it was still a sequel. You see what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, you kind of want a new IP, you know, for filmmaking, and you want a new IPs for video games too, because video games are running into this problem with re-releases. It's just, after a while, you know, you can only put makeup on the same, you know, on the same sort of creature. You know what I'm saying? You can only do so much. And, of course, you got the Universal Monsters. They're about to come back, even though I'm interested to see what they do with it because it's their property. But, you know, nothing is really sacred anymore, especially in the reboot market, because, well, for me, it all ended when they remade Fright Night. And not only did they remake Fright Night... They made a sequel to Fright Night, which was, in essence, a reboot anyway, because it followed no continuity to the first one. It still fits in the same universe somehow. But then again, it's... Well, actually, it's not even somehow. It's called Negative Continuity. Kind of like how the Highlander series are going. Now, Highlander definitely needs a reboot. That's something I'd like to see come back. But, you know, it's just... It's really up in the air about this kind of stuff. I just wish, like, you know, this was the Hollywood that would take risks. This was the Hollywood that would see... Somebody at that indie level, you know what I mean? Not every so often, but see what they're doing, follow their career, you know what I'm saying? And give them that shot and everything like that. It's just things are becoming more exclusive now. I guess because of all the oversaturation out there, but it's times like this where you got to rise above the noise, which is why, you know, in J360 Productions, we had to go into another medium, you know, because we're still working on our films and everything else, granted, you know what I'm saying? It's just interesting, you know? If there's a necessary reboot, but, you know, you don't want to see that origin story no more. It's kind of like how, you know, um, Spider-Man's been rebooted twice. I think I think James Bond is going to get a reboot soon. Unless Daniel Craig, you know, changes his mind about playing the role again. But the thing is, I'm wondering what happened on Spectre to make, make him change about it. Because it seemed like he was enjoying the role. So maybe you guys know the answer to that better than I do. But you know what, if you do know the answer to this, send me something on Twitter, at J360Productions, hashtag JManShow hashtag movies. And, you know, we can go from there and talk about this. Because viewer interaction is important on J360 Productions. And I'd like to hear what some of y'all takes are on reboots. Because, I mean, like, the indie market's doing great. I mean, you're seeing a whole lot of different things. And, you know, honestly, we don't really need a happy ending. You know what I'm saying? We could use, like a variety of different endings different characters things like that it it won't hurt you know we're all there to be entertained but sometimes it it just matters to have that difference there that that's going to bring people in there's going to be a moment where like reboots are not going to save the market anymore who knows it might be a day when pop culture will just accumulate and then it'll eat itself and probably take all of us with it though heaven forbid because that's pretty much what we talk about on a lot of these shows and everything else nowadays Now, I'm not trying to be a killjoy here. Smile up, smile up. You know, I'm just talking in terms of different things and what ifs. I'm not talking about like it's actually going to happen. But, you know, it's just one of those things that really gets you thinking after a while. Like, you want to put yourself in the mindset of your audience, but you also want to know how you can please yourself and please them too. It's just things like that. Give them that good word of mouth. Give them something different, because that's all they really keep asking is for something to be different. Television's having a pretty good boom out of this, The silver screen, however, is having the problem. So at least with television, you might have a shot. Because there is the concept of the DCEU going through problems, but the DC-verse on CW is just having a great, great renaissance. And it's just like night and day. But going into comic universes, because I'm not entirely against comic movies, let's talk about the Spider-Man trilogy from early 2000s. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift. My curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Now, when I watched Civil War, there were quite a bunch of people saying, Oh, this is the Spider-Man I've been waiting for. This is the Spider-Man I've always wanted. This is the Spider-Man that to end all spider man And it's like this. Now, do you say this because it's new, or do you say this because you just didn't like Tobey Maguire? Now, I can get it. Tobey Maguire's portrayal of Spidey was kind of, you know, it was kind of calm, unassuming, and he didn't really mouth off that much. He did somewhat, but you know, you had to catch it. Like, I can get where you could get kind of bored with him. Left a lot to be desired. It really depends with him. See, I didn't have too much of a problem with Tobey Maguire being Spider-Man. You know why? Because for me, that was my first Spider-Man on screen. You know what I mean? In an actual two-hour movie. And he's fighting against a Willem Dafoe, and, and you know how insane he is, as the Green Goblin. And you can say what you will, J360 Legion, but I love those films. Because the movie could have been a lot worse. And not only that, I had a production book called Spider-Man Behind the Mask where I got to read a lot of the production notes and everything involved. So at the time, I was really psyched for these films, you know? I was heavily involved. Uh, People's complaints came out of the woodwork on this movie. Like, people didn't really like the first costume that Spidey wore. Or people didn't really like the idea of the Spider being genetically altered instead of radioactive. And also people didn't really care for the organic web shooters. It Sometimes it gets so minimal with some people. I have somebody in the group that actually has this problem. Even though I explained to him that it was because the director didn't know how to incorporate him creating the artificial web shooters at the time. And for the script, you know, it actually works for that. It made sense to me, but then again, I've been reading Spider-Man most of my life, and I actually understand what the terms based on and inspired by mean in media. In reference to that person that's in my team, by the way, don't pay no attention to him, and at least I managed to get a successful trilogy or a successful set of films, whereas his favorite superhero only had one movie, and it didn't go so well. And being that it was Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, how could it? Ooh, crash and burn. Anyways. Let me tell you this. I enjoyed Spider-Man 1 because it was the first Spider-Man on screen. And you know, I was still riding on that high after X-Men. You remember that? Like 2002? That was Spider-Man time. And then comes 2004 where Spider-Man 2 came into play. And it's Spider-Man versus Doc Ock. I am never going to miss something like that. An iconic superhero against his iconic villain. And yeah, sure, that's debatable. I know all you Venom and Green Goblin fans are out there, but hey, actually, you Green Goblin fans shouldn't be talking shit. Y'all had your movie, and that includes me. I'm I'm with you in that. But the thing is, is this. It's Spidey versus Doc Ock, and not to mention there was a lot more action in Spider-Man 2. It was quintessential. You know what I mean? And then Toby talked more and everything else. It was incredible. He was a more smart-ass Spider-Man. Now, he's not like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, who got cut off in his prime, to be honest with you. Like, in the end, like, that's when Sony was losing their mind. Because Sony was going to go ahead and try to do a Sinister Six movie without Spidey being involved, and... Like, you seeing seen how the Suicide Squad movie was going with all of this being a supervillain movie. Well, they were going to try to do something like that with the Sinister Six back in the day, and needless to say, I'm glad it didn't come together, so I'm glad Marvel did get the rights, or not necessarily get the rights, but worked out that deal with Sony. Because... Things were really about to go off the rail there for a minute. And speaking of which, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise could have been a lot better if they just lowered the scope down to just Spidey fighting against one villain. And if he fought against, like, six of those villains separately, and they were all coming together as the Sinister Six for a seventh movie, that would have been great. Okay, but that's the Amazing Spider-Man franchise, so let me go back to the regular Spider-Man franchise, or, yeah, the first Spider-Man franchise, let's call it that. Like... Honestly, 2 was great because it was Spidey losing his powers because he doubted himself a lot. He managed to come together. He knew he had to protect people and everything else. And then he still had to stop Doc Ock from creating that nuclear, well, that artificial sun um, radiation thing. See, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I'm going off of memory with this. But some things you just never forget. So with that going on and everything else, he still know he had to protect people. It still had that strong emotional message. If anything, the original Spider-Man trilogy were a set of emotional films. And that's kind of the way it was. It was it was like, you know, that great power comes great responsibility motif and message fits right through at least the two films. The third one kind of went in the deep end. And speaking of which, you know, the first one started off strong. The second one ended stronger, and even then there was a rift between him and Harry that came about because Harry still, you know, is still on butt butthurt about everything, you know what I'm saying? And something special happened regarding uh, Spider-Man Part 2, remember that? Because uh, old Harry, uh, he unmasked him and got to see the fright of his life that the man who practically killed his father, even though he didn't, was his best friend. So in a way, when you got something like that going on, that's dramatic. And you feel for Harry at that point. But the thing is, Harry should know that his father had mental problems, and that his father pretty much was the Green Goblin. There is no way he could have not known that. That whole subplot was kinda, you know, whatever. But we had to make uh Harry a villain for the third film, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to touch base on it all lightly, but and then the best parts with those J. Jonah Jameson clips, I mean, everything about him and those Spider Man movies were great especially in number two when his son was involved and you know mary jane's um subplots in there you know they were pretty sappy i'm not gonna lie but you know spidey spider-man outside of his problems and the villains he faced they're all about the babes and you know black cat hasn't made an appearance in the movies per se she made an appearance in the games but she didn't make an appearance in the movies and Gwen stacy didn't show up until the third one but you know what i'm saving that for last because we're gonna really get into that uh, but um, the second one, however, you know, you got to see Mary Jane's progression. Like The first time she was dating Harry, second time she was dating John Jameson, and she was about to marry him, which was interesting, but you know, she still had the feeling for Peter. Even though Peter, you know, couldn't come to terms with explaining his double life. And then in the end, after the final battle, she got to see him for who he really is. And then in a way, she implied that she always knew. And in a way, she did because of that kiss at the end of the first one. But despite all the problems with the Mary Jane subplot, she just couldn't get enough of that spider swag because at the end of the second one, she came right there in the end wearing a wedding dress and saying that they should face the problems together. Which makes Petey feel a lot stronger, and, you know, now he's pretty much Spider-Man with a girlfriend doing what he got to do. Everything's going his way. You know, and at the end, she had that, that sad look on her face, you know, because that's what happened in the comics. Like, you know, when they became real serious with each other, you know, she knew, and she had to abide by that. And she's pretty much someone for him to lean on. His rock at best. Next to Aunt May. So, and, you know, the Aunt May and Peter Parker aspect on those films were pretty good. You know what I mean? You can say what you want, but they were pretty good. Now, we can go into the third one. The third one had more problems than a little bit. Too many villains, too many subplots. What the hell happened with this Mary Jane thing, (laughs) because it totally negates everything about the second one. The third one pretty much tried so hard to catch up to the first one. It was ridiculous. I don't know whether it was because Spider-Man 2 was such a tough act to follow or because there are just a bunch of things that need to be handled, okay. So we can say like, what would Harry Osborn, he was supposed to become the new goblin anyway because he found found the room in the second one. So after he found all that stuff in the second one, he should know that Spider-Man didn't necessarily kill his father. He stopped his father. His father killed himself. You know what I'm saying? After seeing all that stuff in there, he should know damn well that his father was a maniacal killer. But, you know, sins of the father, so he had to go ahead and do what he had to do. So there's your first revenge angle. If anything, Spider-Man 3 was all about revenge. It was about Harry's revenge. It was about Eddie Brock's revenge because of the whole thing with Gwen Stacy in there. By the way, I think Gwen Stacy was like the saving grace of that movie because... Bryce Dallas Howard, you know, <laughs> where can you go wrong with her? She is fine, you know what I mean? Whew! And in that movie, she made a terrific Gwen Stacy. It's just that she's shown up too late. It's like, why did they wait till the third movie to put this love triangle in there? That didn't need to be there. You know what I mean? I would have been fine with it if they did it. The if they did it kind of like um. In the amazing Spider-Man one where she was there. And then Mary Jane was going to be there. It would have been fine earlier. Just not in the third movie. Don't get this creative now. You know what I mean? Because you may not even do a fourth one. That's the thing. See it's optional at that point. But at least when you got three. They all go for three now. And then not to mention like. Gwen wasn't even in a real relationship. With Eddie Brock in that movie. And Eddie Brock was played by. Topher Grace you know better known as Eric Foreman from that 70s show even though he's trying to leave that behind but the thing is he's been on that show too long he's just typecast as him and the thing is is that you know he looked pretty much like a reverse Peter instead of the you know bodybuilder type dude that pretty much haunts Spider-Man throughout his later years in the 90s he just didn't make a good Venom to me now the effects of Venom were great the effects of Venom in that movie were great So as you have that, and then you have the black suit going on in there, and when Parker rejects the suit, you know, there's your other revenge angle. The movie was all about revenge. And, of course, the whole aspect with Sandman being the main villain. I mean, just too much going on in one-two-hour film. And, like, why in the world was Sandman the main villain, and why was he responsible for Uncle Ben's death? And then... Like, more or less, it was just retconning in the third movie. I mean, this is your third movie, and your villain is Sandman. And even if you think about it, he's more or less a hired hand. I mean, he's pretty much just the muscle. He's like Rhino. Why didn't you just put Rhino in the damn movie, you know? He's not exactly smart. But, you know, they could have used Mysterio. They could have used the Scorpion. They could have used the Chameleon, if need be. Hell, they could have even used Craven. Even though they managed to do this in Amazing Spider-Man, they could have used Lizard. Lizard would have been perfect for Spider-Man Three. Doc Connors, we would you know Doc Connors was already established, played by Dylan Baker. An experiment goes wrong, turns Peter Parker's other mentor into something tormented. You know what I mean? And the thing is, see, they had to kill Doctor Octopus off, you know, along with uh, the Green Goblin. So that's kind of what happened, but. The thing is they didn't have to kill off the lizard. You know, he could still be alive. And even in the alternative universe, which is the amazing Spider Man films, we never know what happens to Doc Connors now. You know, that's pretty much the void right there. You'll never know what happens to this character unless somebody goes ahead and does a you know and does a comic for that universe, which is actually pretty sad. But like I said before, they could have Lizard would have been perfect. And I'm only gonna make one quick response about Evil Peter. Evil Peter was more or less just funny, you know. It was it wasn't anything to be alarmed about. It was just Evil Peter and that dancing, you know. <laughs> just that's that's all there is to it to say about it. Just Toby McGuire dancing. And the black suit was decent. I liked the way it was designed. But um he only used it like three times, and even then, it was like, kind of, kind of wasn't represented right. You know what I mean? At least the venom part of it. And the thing is, you could still have the aspect of the black suit in there because there were times when the black suit helped Spidey. But then later on, it got weird because they had to go ahead and shoehorn venom in this movie, and it's not Sam Raimi's fault, because he he pretty much knows character depth and plot. I mean, if you look at the Evil Dead trilogy, he knows all about that stuff, so it's not his fault. That was at the discretion of the production com- not the well, not the production company, but the studio. That was at the discretion of Sony at that point, because Avia Rad is all about that money, and when he's all about that money, he's going to try to make as much chump change as he can, and Venom had that high market appeal, actually, he still does. Venom has a high market appeal, Carnage has a high market appeal, and we all be, and you know what, we in the comics uh, community are responsible for some of this too, because that's all we ever talk about. We talk about how the two symbiotes are going to be on screen and everything else, but the problem is they can never even get Venom right, let alone Carnage. So that's kind of my problem with it. But I do want to see exactly them pull this off. You know what I'm saying? I do want to see them pull this off eventually. But, you know, it's just one of them things we just have to wait to see. Spider-Man 3 could have ended with him having the black suit. You know what I mean? But at the beginning of Spider-Man 4, and this this is just fan talk here, that black suit could actually cause more problems for him. You know what I mean? And then he gets rid of it. You know what I mean? You could have, like, a villain there in the beginning. Or you could have, like, Eddie Brock always hounding him and stuff like that. And then you'll see, like, the tragedy from there about Eddie Brock. And then you see, like, the black suit just going ahead and forms Venom. And then there's the problem. There's the revenge story. There's the revenge angle and everything. Right after Spidey knows how evil that suit is and it's changing him. And then he has no choice but to get rid of it. Much in the same way as that scene in Spider-Man 3. It's like that we save it for Spider-Man 4. You can make it like more of a horror aspect. Which technically it is. You know what I mean? And then you got that one-on-one level. And then don't pick somebody with the same build as Peter Parker. Pick somebody who's jacked. Pick somebody who like... Has that whole bodybuilder look to him. You know what I'm saying? Because pretty much, that's what Eddie was. Eddie was bulky, man. Eddie wasn't like scrawny like um, Peter was. Unless you're talking Ultimate Spider-Man. And then at that point, you know, I can understand. Because Ultimate Spider-Man was weird as hell. At least before Miles. Miles. But also, what really killed Spider-Man 3 was executive meddling. Believe it or not, Mary Jane wasn't supposed to get in any of that trouble that she was getting into in that movie. That came as a last-minute decision by the executives at Sony, believe it or not. And (laughs) Kirsten Dunst didn't want anything to do with it, you know what I mean? But she had to get paid. Like, the production stories behind all of this stuff, you know, when you actually take the time to go research about it, is unreal. So it really paints a different perspective. But since I'm losing a little bit of time in the show, uh, I'm going to have to go ahead and wrap it up. Now, I'm going to go ahead and take a cue from Mondo and go ahead and give you my rating for each of these films. Now, for Spider-Man 1, it'll be 8 out of 10. For Spider-Man 2, it'll be 9 out of 10. And then for Spider-Man 3, uh, I'm going to do this on a curve. 7 out of 10, you know, because the last movie and everybody was coming back for one last era, even if it didn't make a giant boom like Spider-Man 2 did, you know, it was still pretty cool to see everybody reunited for one more film. And that's just the way it is, you know, two out of three ain't bad. Now before I wrap up, I just want to let you all know of some production news. I'm going to be changing the format of the show's production right now. Well not necessarily the format, but the time. I'm not going to do this show's production at 1pm on Tuesdays anymore, as a matter of fact, the time has changed to 7pm. And I'll be doing it live, so you can all interact with me on the radio station at Mixler.com slash j360productions. You know, ask me some questions and I'll talk back to you, and you know, a little bit of viewer engagement. And not only that, but you can also talk to me about some movies that, you know, you would like to change and stuff. It would be pretty cool. You know, just like how I had this premise here for Spider-Man 4, you know what I'm saying? Even though it's a movie that'll never get made because, you know, Tom Holland's got this under wraps, and I'm really intrigued about Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, so it's in good hands. Oh, yes. Since we're near the end of November, I know that the MonsterFest posts haven't made it to the website. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to have a floating timeline for the MonsterFest since um you know things have been kind of hectic as far as november is concerned and um i'm gonna try to bounce back and get all those things together i might try to bring the monster fest onto the j mansion next week the hell with that word might i'm gonna do it we're gonna talk about monster movies next week you know what i mean and i hope that you can all join in next tuesday at 7 p.m so i can hear some of the stuff that you like and that way we can go ahead and exchange a couple of things And until then, you can go ahead and listen to this episode along with the previous episodes on soundcloud.com slash j360productions. And take care, Legion. I'll see you next week. This is Jay, signing off.